All right, uh, I want to start today by pondering a question that a lot of ministers in my position um, ask from time to time. In fact, we've kind of asked this a lot over the years. The question is, why is it so hard to get volunteers at church? That's where I want to start with you thinking today. Why is it so hard to get volunteers at church? Now, eventually, those people came up, but at first, did you see people's reaction to, I need 12 volunteers to come on up to, to church? Um, obviously, passing out papers and pens really isn't that difficult a task. And so let's look at other things. What, why is it so hard to get people when you need small group leaders? When you need people to fill communion trays or people to fill Easter eggs or when you need uh, people to work especially in the nursery or in Critterland in the preschool age? Why is it so difficult? Why do so many ministers struggle with the getting volunteers on board part of the church. You see, I think it might come from a bigger issue than just serving in the church. Uh, let me ask you a question. Let me give you an example. How many of you, this is a show of hands question, how many of you believe that the Bible is the divinely inspired Word of God and therefore is the proper authority for our life and practice? How many of you believe that? Look at all these hands. Keep them up. Look around. A lot of hands. All right. Put your hands down. Now, here's the question. Don't raise your hands on this one. How many of us live that word out in true obedience? You see, we shoot our hands up when the question is, do you believe this stuff? Do you believe this to be the Word of God? And it's fantastic to see so many people believe that God's Word is absolute truth, but how many of us are absolutely living it out? A uh, theme verse of my life is probably James 1.22. It's always been the most inspiring to me. I quote it a lot. It says, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You see, there's a big disconnect for many Christians between the hearing and listening and believing the Word part and the going and doing and living the Word part. And I think ultimately it comes down to how we view the Word of God and how we view the teachings of Jesus Christ. Terry just spent 43 weeks, I think that's an all-time record, uh, preaching through the Gospel of John. How many of you enjoyed that sermon series, by the way? Absolutely. Um, last week, he finished with chapter 21. He finished with the last, uh, the last sermon, and this is from John chapter 21, where Jesus uh, is, is talking to the disciples who are out fishing. Uh, and he tells them, just as Terry said last week, Jesus is telling his disciples that you've got to switch sides of the boat. You've got to go from the, world the, way, the way the world lives to the way... God desires for you to live. You've got to go from self-centered to Christ-centered. You've got to go into deeper water. But just because those disciples heard those teachings did not mean that they would necessarily follow His words. In fact, they had been with this guy for three years. 
He had taught a whole lot of things and given them a whole lot of lessons, uh, and they didn't always know how to follow it. They didn't always obey. They didn't always know what it looked like to follow Him. They didn't always do it. See, hearing it is one thing. Living it, church, is another. And many of us today in the church have heard the Word of God for a long, long time. But has it ever really produced obedience in your life? And for some, maybe it hasn't. For the next two weeks, we're going to take a a look at what comes next for us when we do those things. When we um, switch sides, when we go from living Christ-centered to self-centered to living Christ-centered, when we go from the world's way to God's way, when we decide to go into deeper waters, what comes next? And we're going to start today by looking at a passage of Scripture where Jesus' disciples were being taught a lesson and they really didn't get it. So since, if you've got your Bibles, get them out, and since Terry just finished 43 weeks of teaching in the book of John, This morning, turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John is where we are going to be today. Thought I'd change things up. Uh, John chapter 13 is where we're going to be. And if not, it'll be here on the screen. If you don't have your Bible, you can follow along on the TV as well. Today we're looking at a, a, a scene in the ministry of Jesus in John chapter 13 um, that I believe teaches this idea. And again, it's a, it's a lesson that the disciples had. The question is, did they understand it as Jesus is teaching it? So let's read the first 17 verses then of John chapter 13. <clears throat> it was just before the Passover festival and Jesus knew that the hour had come for Him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, the son, or Judas rather, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power, and that He had come from God and was returning to God. So He got up from the meal, took off His outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around His waist, And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not know, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, You have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Then not just my hands, or not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also 
should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Look at verse 17 again. Let me emphasize. Now, Jesus says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if what, church? If you do them. You see, there's the line between knowing it and doing it. Between understanding and and believing and actually living it out in obedience. In this scene in John chapter 13, on the night that Jesus would be betrayed, Jesus is teaching His twelve disciples a lesson on what they're going to do after He is gone. In other words, Jesus knew His time was short. And He's teaching them an important lesson here. After He's been killed, after He's been buried, after He's risen to life and gone into heaven, what are these guys going to do? He was giving them in this moment in the upper room the answer of what they would need to follow Him in their lives. But as you can see, they didn't really get it. At least not yet. At least not in this moment. And it's the same thing, church, I truly believe that He wants for us, for you and I to know today. The same lesson that is for all believers who are to come to life in Jesus Christ. What's next after we switch sides? What's next after we go from living for me to living for Him? How do you go into deep waters? What does it look like to follow Jesus? I believe the answer is here in John chapter 13. I believe the answer is clear for us this morning. But yet many, many people who believe still have never really got it. This morning I believe the answer to that question is serving. I believe the answer is serving. How do you follow Jesus? By serving. How do you go from just believing to doing it and to living it? By serving. Jesus in John chapter 13 sets the ultimate example for His disciples of what it would look like to follow Him. How? By taking off His outer clothing, wrapping a towel around His waist, pouring water into a basin, and washing their feet. He showed them in this moment in John chapter 13, He showed us how to look like a servant. And today we're going to talk about five simple lessons about serving that Jesus gives us in John chapter 13. In this upper room moment with His disciples, in this scene that has just unfolded, that we've just read, we learn five important things about serving that I believe are important for you and for me today. That's where we start in our notes. So here's number one, if you're taking notes. Number one, serving is part of God's plan for life. Serving is part of God's plan for life. 
Look again at verses 1 through 5 of John chapter 13. Notice here what Jesus knows. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for Him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and was returning to God. And so, He got up from the meal, took off His outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around His waist. After that, He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around Him. See, John chapter 13 begins... Four chapters where Jesus is speaking with His twelve disciples in this upper room after they've eaten the Passover meal together. We call it the upper room discourse. John 14-17. through Uh, It really starts with chapter 13. They include His last words to His twelve disciples. Other than Judas. Judas leaves pretty early on in this upper room discourse to do what He's going to do and Jesus gets the last these last several chapters in John are the last several hours that Jesus has with these men that he's been with for three years these are his last words in that same night in fact they will cross the Kidron Valley they will go into the garden of Gethsemane and from there Jesus will be arrested Jesus will be betrayed and arrested and the rest unfolds as part of God's plan. You see, this is upper story, big picture, ultimate plan of God's stuff when you get to the tail end of the book of John. Jesus is not just teaching in John chapter 13 some random lesson to His disciples. He is hours away from being arrested and walking toward the cross where He would lay down His life for the sins of mankind and fulfill the redemptive plan of God for the whole world. This is Jesus completing God's plan. And Jesus knew what was coming. Did you notice verse 1 said that He knew that the hour had come for Him to leave this world and go to the Father. And yet, In the very next breath, as Jesus is preparing to lay His life down, He sets an example for those who are there in the room with Him. By humbling Himself and serving. Now let's ask another show of hands question. Do you desire to know God's will for your life? Raise your hand if you do. Who desires to know what God's will is for your life specifically? I'll give you a hint. Part of God's plan for your life is serving others. Part of God's plan for your life is serving others. It was part of God's ultimate plan for Jesus. If Jesus, the Son of God, on the night He was betrayed to die for your sins and my sins, thought it was important enough to take out off His outer clothing and serve these men, then church... That's going to be part, serving is going to be part of your life and my life if we are legitimately following Jesus Christ. 
This isn't, this isn't something that's for some people and not for others. Not if you're following the, the will of God in your life. Serving is going to be part of God's plan for your life. And that leads us to our next point. Number two, serving is for everyone. Serving is for everyone. And now this can be taken two ways. First is the next line under that in your notes. Every Christian must serve others. What does this mean when we say serving is for everyone? Well, number one, if you follow after Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, then serving ought to be part of your life. Every Christian must be serving others. But there's another way you can take that sentence. Serving is for everyone also means that no one is exempt from being served. In other words, you and I aren't the choosers of who we serve and who we don't serve. Did you notice that in John chapter 13? Did you notice who Jesus serves? Look at verse 2 again. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. This had already happened. Judas was already prompted and ready to go, ready to betray the Son of God. And let me ask you, where was Judas in that moment? He was reclining at the same table in the same upper room where Jesus sat. Look at verses 10 and 11 of John 13. Jesus answered, those who need a bath only need uh, who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. And it says, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that is why he said, not everyone is clean. You see, Judas is, is, is there at the Passover meal with Jesus and the twelve. Judas will eventually leave to betray Jesus. He will cut out before the evening is over. But Judas does not cut out before Jesus washes his feet. You see the importance here? You see what Jesus is doing? As Jesus is washing their feet and teaching them what it means to serve others, what it means to follow Him, He's washing the feet of one man who He knows is going to betray Him that night. in just a few short hours. If Jesus was not exempted from washing the feet of His betrayer, then church, you better believe that you and I are not exempted from serving anybody. We don't want to serve somebody that's hurt our feelings. We don't want to serve somebody that we, we, we don't have anything in common with. That doesn't believe, that, that, that doesn't live life the way that we ought... We do. We don't want to serve those people. Every Christian is called to serve others. And we must serve everyone. Jesus served the one who would betray Him. Jesus served the one who later would kiss Him on the cheek and hand Him over to the authorities who would kill Him. We must serve everyone. Look at Luke 
10, verses 25 through 29. You see, this kind of stuff in Jesus' ministry didn't just come up on the last night. This kind of stuff came up in Jesus' teaching all the time. Here's an example in Luke chapter 10. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. Pause right there for just a second. There's another scene in the Gospel of Jesus where someone similarly asks Jesus, what's the, two most, or what's the most important commandment in the law? And Jesus says these same two things. This is the answer. What's most important? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So this guy clearly heard that. This guy knew what was important. Now, unpause and, and read verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In other words, it's almost as if this man is saying, I'm okay with loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, strength. And I'm okay with loving my neighbor as long as that neighbor is someone I want to love. And in answering that question, who is my neighbor, Jesus goes on to tell what we know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. We won't read it this morning, but the basic idea of the Good Samaritan is a Samaritan who was a hated enemy of the Jews, in this story, humbled himself and served a Jewish man. Jesus tells a story where the point is that our neighbor is anyone that we have the opportunity to serve whether they like us or not, whether we have anything in common with them or not. And I have to imagine that this lesson is a lesson that took a while for Jesus' disciples to really understand. And that's why in John chapter 13, Jesus doesn't just teach them, He shows them. He doesn't just teach them, He shows them them this was a lesson that wasn't always easy um, for the disciples to get I'm sure there were some disciples who saw Jesus washing their feet and still probably thought it wasn't something that they had to do serving really wasn't their thing right well I'll let those other guys get up and, and pass out the papers because serving really isn't my thing that's for somebody else but Jesus here is setting a pattern and example for all of his followers you and I included it's a lesson that wasn't always easy to grasp but Jesus taught it a lot look again at Mark chapter 9 verses 33 through 35 it says they this is Jesus and his disciples came to Capernaum and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you guys arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. See, they don't get it. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, whoever wants to be first 
must be very last and the what? And the what? The servant of all. So let's look at this last point for just a second. Serving is for everyone. Every one of us. Every Christian must serve. And there's one last line in there just in case you don't get it. No exceptions. No exceptions. Again, even if we were to say, I don't believe John chapter 13 should be in the Bible. This truth is everywhere. This truth is throughout Scripture. Look at 1 John 2 verses 3 through 6. Look at what he says about believing and doing. We know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commands. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys His Word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in Him. Church, listen. This is how we know we are in Christ. You want to know if you belong to Jesus Christ? You want to know if you're living for Jesus and following Him as a disciple? Verse 6, whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did. You know what that means? Your life should look like His. You want to know a really clear and simple sign of if you're really a disciple of Jesus? Does your life look like Jesus' life? What did Jesus' life look like? He was a servant. The reason He came was to serve others. And in fact, lay down His life for others. Truth about serving number three. Serving means that life isn't about you. This is why we have such trouble serving. Because serving means that life isn't about you. In fact, if you're taking notes, go ahead and take your pen now, now that you've written you. That's spelled Y-O-U, by the way. Now that you've written that, now take your pen and cross out the word you. You with me? And write me. Because every one of us today needs to take this personally. Me included. Serving means if, if I'm going to look like Jesus's, if my life is going to look like Jesus's life, the first thing I've got to understand is that this is not about me. If Jesus's life was about him, Jesus never would have died for you and me. Praise God that Jesus did not live a life about him but he laid down his life for me and so if i'm truly and genuinely going to be a disciple of jesus christ i've got to get it through my head that it isn't about me i think this scene in john chapter 13 is so fascinating especially when you understand what jewish custom was in that day you see jewish tradition and custom tells us that washing, a, washing feet at a meal like this uh, was such a lowly and demeaning job 
that it wasn't even the job of one of the house servants. It was the job of the lowest slave in your employ. In fact, most of the time, these slaves were not Jews. They were Gentiles. This was the lowest Gentile slave that got the nastiest job of washing feet. Jewish tradition also tells us that it was customary for the slave who's tasked with washing feet that he would be there at the door as the guests entered the room. As each one came in, before the meal was started, as the guests were entering the room, kind of like taking off your feet so you don't get mud on the carpet, um, this slave, the guest, here's how it would work. The guest would stop at the door as he came in. The slave would take off the guest's sandals, wash the feet of the guest until they were clean from the dust and the mud and the filth that they walked through on the roads on the way there. And then he would put those sandals back on the guest's feet. But when Jesus and his disciples observed this Passover meal together in the upper room that night, there was no foot washer. There was no slave there to wash the disciples' feet as they came in. Scholars have concluded over the years that this was probably because of what Jesus was about to do. This was probably because Jesus was about to teach them a lesson in this moment. Therefore, He told the the foot washer to don't worry about it. You've got a night off. Now, I agree with that to an extent. But I think there's even one more lesson here at work. You see, each of these 12 men, Peter, James, John, Thaddeus, Judas, all of these guys came in that night and saw that there was no one there to wash their feet. Each of these twelve walked into the room, noticed that there was no foot washer in the room, and I believe Jesus may very well have done this on purpose. You know why? So that He could see if any of those twelve men got it yet. The basin's right there. The foot washer always washes the feet. Is any of these 12 guys going to get it at this point and and take off his outer clothing and get a towel? And is anybody going to humble themselves to the level of washing their brother's feet? And the answer is no way. Because they're still out on the roads during the day with Jesus arguing about which one of them is the greatest. Because they're still out on the roads trying to decide which one Jesus likes better. Because they've made this about them. And so just imagine the guilt and the shame they would have felt when after they ate the Passover, their teacher, their master, took off his outer clothing assumed the role of a slave and washed their filthy, sinful feet. He's teaching them one of the greatest lessons they could have learned. One of the greatest lessons you and I can learn. Life isn't about me. 
Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25. Again, this is another time where Jesus is teaching the same thing. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. That's pretty clear, right? Deny yourself means this isn't about you. Must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Two more. Number four is this. Serving is unnatural. Serving is unnatural. Why did none of these twelve men, when they saw that there was nobody at the door to wash feet, why did no one take the basin and go ahead and just wash feet so that they weren't at least sitting with junk on their feet at the, at the Passover with Jesus? Because serving is unnatural. Now, that's not to say that people, there, there aren't people who are natural servers. I bet you can think of two or three people now in, in church, in, maybe in this room with us right now, that you would consider a natural servant. They have a heart of a servant. You know why that is? Because they've come to Jesus and that's been revealed in them. What I mean is that serving goes against our sinful, selfish nature. You want some proof? Look at what Peter does in John chapter 13. Verses 6 through 9. And so Jesus came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Not only is he too important to wash anybody else's feet, he's appalled that Jesus would even wash his feet. Look at what he says. You do not realize now what I'm doing, Jesus replied, but later you will understand. No. No, said Peter. You shall never wash my feet. And then Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Peter changes his story. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, then not just my feet, but my hands and my feet as well. Peter couldn't understand the idea. He couldn't take the idea of Jesus, his master, washing his feet. Because Jesus didn't yet understand that when you really follow in Jesus' steps, when you really are a disciple, your life will, will be spent serving others. Look at Mark 10, verses 42 through 43. This is another lesson teaching moment to his 12 disciples. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles. Lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. What does that mean? Their position, their title, it's about them. He says, verse 43, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant servant last week terry said that if you want to follow jesus you have to switch sides you have to go from a life that is driven by a sinful heart to a life that from a life that is self-centered to a life that is christ-centered 
And guess what a Christ-centered life does? It serves others. A Christ-centered life is spent in service to others. It is not your natural inclination to serve others. Not outside of Jesus. It goes against our sinful desire to be self-centered. But those who follow Christ, he said it. Those who follow Christ will deny themselves and turn to be Christ-centered and turn to be others-centered. Those who follow Christ will be servants of others. And so we get to lesson number five. Serving is a life changer. This is why we teach this lesson today, because serving is a life changer, church. Look at how John 13, this passage ends in verses 12 through 17. So you've seen what I've done, Jesus says. Now here's the lesson that he's teaching. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher, and you call me Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should go wash one another's feet. Did he mean, let's pause again for a second, did he mean, now get down with the basin right now, take the towel, and wash each other's feet? No, they've just been clean. He already told Peter that, that you only need your feet washed. You've already had a bath. You're clean. He's not saying, now do this right now. Now that I've done it, you all show each other how to wash each other's feet. What's he saying? Now that you've seen me do this, then you should wash one another's feet. Verse 15, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you that no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who had sent him. Jesus is saying, no servant, if you guys are following me, I'm the master. No servant is greater than his master. And guess what your master just did? He washed your feet. Verse 17, now that you know these things. Church, read this last line with me. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. That's how Jesus, after He takes His, He puts His clothes back on and, and puts the towel down and is finished with washing the feet. He says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. See, there's the line, church. Let's draw it in the sand today. Let's draw the line in front and say, here is the one who knows the Word and believes it. And on the other side of this line is the life lived by the one who goes and does it. You see, if you're living on the back side of that line, you believe you're a believer, 
You know what the Word says? I'm telling you today, church, you will not know the freedom, the abundant life that comes if you've never broken that line and got out into service. When Jesus washed His disciples' feet that day, He did so to set an example for each of them, an example of humility and service to others that would spread the kingdom of God into the furthest reaches of the world. He did so to set an example for all who would follow after Him. He did so to set an example for you and me. I'm going to ask Chad and the band if they would come out today as we close. And as they do, church, this is my prayer. It is my prayer today that the Nineveh Christian Church would, will see that the example of Jesus Christ and be called into lives of service. It's my prayer that you would understand what it is to cross that line and you would come out and, and come out of your self-centeredness and serve. But not that it would be prompted out of some feeling of obligation or duty. In other words, church, I don't want you to serve because you feel like you've got to serve. Jesus commanded us to serve, but I don't want this to be a, a duty, an obligation thing. Why? Because Jesus said, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Church, it is my prayer today that you and I would be reminded of what a blessing it is to serve Jesus Christ. What a blessing it is to take what we know and go out with our lives and serve others. I know it seems like a hassle. I know for those on the other side of the line, it seems like something you don't have time for. But church, test Him and see if He won't bless your socks off for serving Him. Because this is how life was supposed to be. This, a life lived serving is what Christ intended for His people. I am telling you today, you will know no greater blessing in your life than to let go of you and serve somebody else. You will know no greater blessing in your life than to let go of your sinful desires, humble yourselves, and wash somebody else's feet. You won't know the real joy and blessing of serving Jesus Christ until you know what it is to serve others. So that today, church, is the, is the challenge, is the invitation. That's what God is calling each of us to this morning. Cross that line. See what it is to serve. The invitation is open today as we stand and sing.